0: Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Joshua chapter 10. Let's begin in verse 38. Finally, Joshua turned toward Debir and attacked it, and all Israel was with him. He captured it, its king, and all its villages. They struck them down with the sword and completely destroyed everyone in it, leaving no survivors. He treated Debir and its king as he had treated Hebron and had treated Libna and its king. So the thematic structure of verses 38 and 39 echoes the thematic structure of the accounts going back to verse 28 of this text, describing Israel's conquest of Makeda, of uh, Lachish, of Hebron, um, and, and now we've added on Debir to this list, and it echoes how they had experienced victory there the way that they did in Jericho. All of this, like we talked about in yesterday's devotion, exhibits God following through on his proclaimed wrath upon the sin of the people of Canaan, and exercising of his ultimate sovereignty over the land that he created, as is his prerogative to give to his people as he will. And we saw the parallels between ourselves and the residents of Debir, because like these Canaanites, we have sin in our lives. That sin puts us in the crosshairs of the wrath of God. But we, like Rahab in the Old Testament, in the account of Joshua, may take the way of grace, and instead become a part of the people of God. Now comes to the summation. So Joshua conquered the whole region, the hill country, the Negev, the Judean foothills, and the slopes, with all their kings, leaving no survivors. He completely destroyed every living being as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. So remember this. God said it, and it's true. God commanded his people two, let's read the words again, just to make sure that you know who God is, completely destroy every living being. This can be a real punch in the gut if you fell for the ruse that God is a castrated God who has no wrath for sin, but just lets it all slip. He just lets it all go god proclaimed this wrath upon these people at this time and you and i have sin of our own and god feels the exact same way today that he did about sin then fortunately for us god also has grace and mercy he's also the embodiment of love and the way that you and i are spared from the ultimate wrath of god not just having our city burned down but our souls burned forever The way in which you and I may be spared our rightful share of such wrath because of our sin is by the grace of God poured out through Jesus. Now, this is a pivotal text because we've now established this dominance throughout the land. God conquered everyone from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza and all the land of Goshen as far as Gibeon. Joshua captured all these kings and their land in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to camp at Gilgal. So this is where uh, Gilgal is, is where last week's curriculum describes what happens. They catch up on what they had been missing throughout the Exodus. They just neglected the law of God. None of these uh, none of these of the generation of Israel had been circumcised yet. They hadn't observed, you know, uh, things that they should have. So, uh, they, in, ch- in chapter five, they catch up on circumcision and they've got to rest and recover for a few days. Cause these are all like grown men. They should have been circumcised the eighth day of their lives. And instead they are all circumcised on mass and it takes a long time to recover. Then they observe Passover, which like our curriculum showed is this, kind of Old Testament. Uh, it's, the, it's the precedent for just the cross. It recalls, you know, their deliverance from Egypt, and it sort of pivots into the New Covenant as communion, actually. We'll talk more about that later. If you want to see more about that, look at our series, The Sacred Acts. Now, then that's when God sends the commander of his army, and Joshua meets with him. It's a really, really powerful interaction. So, look at chapter five, if you want. That's where they've gone back to what's pivotal in this text is this truth right here. Joshua captured all these kings and their land in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. So like we talked about in Sermon 3, God has the ultimate prior claim. In fact, the, 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 the a priori nature of his claim goes even before the land's existence. In fact, he's... He's the one who created it, so it's all his. And ultimately all comes back under his perfect sovereignty in the end, which means that it never leaves his sovereignty. So God is the ultimate authority. God has ultimate sovereignty, and God is the one who is fighting for Israel. Abraham Lincoln, when asked about being, you know,, uh, you know, about God being on his side, Something to the effect of like I try to be on God's side. <laughs> it, this is this is a, this is an, an axiom that I think reflects this. Like th- look at Israel. Israel is definitely on God's side when football teams line up at both end zones and they both pray for God to be on their sides. Uh, they miss the point. Rather than pray that personally in your own life, outside of this game of throwing a, throwing a ball, which I love the sport of football. I think God cares way more about the hearts and the souls and the minds of the players and the fans than he does about the outcome of the game. Th- that's what matters eternally more, is not whether or not God, God is on your football team side, but whether your soul is on God's side. Because look at what happens when your soul is on God's side. When you fight for God, God is fighting for you. Joshua captured all these kings and their land in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. The ultimate sovereign of the universe for all of eternity is fighting for you. You win. You just absolutely win, regardless of how you know uh, skilled or unskilled you are. Uh, if God is the one who's doing the fighting, you're guaranteed to win. I want to point something out here. This includes Kadesh Barnea. Uh, Kadesh Barnea was a pivotal place during the Exodus. A lot of stuff happens here. This is where Miriam is buried. This is where. The Israelites complained about a lack of water, and Moses and Aaron actually come under discipline from God uh, because of the the way things went down here. Uh, Moses strikes the rock twice to bring them water, and the wording that he uses when he proclaims what's happening here— takes credit for what he's doing. He takes credit for the miracle that God poured out. This is where the people of God came under discipline because they were told, they were shown the allocations of the promised land. The first generation of Israelites failed to do what this generation of Israelites has just done, because they were scared. And because they were scared, they came under discipline. And for 40 years, they wander in the desert. And then they're back again in Kadesh Barnea, and they're afraid to go and take the land again. So, Moses warns them, like, look, we've been wandering for 40 years, because the last time we were camped here, looking over there, you guys didn't want to take the land. Now we're back again, and you don't want to take the land again. You want to subject us to another 40 years of wandering? The author of Hebrews, whom, uh, for the record, for whatever it's worth, if anybody cares, I suspect might be Apollos. Contains these words in chapter three of Hebrews. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. This took place in Kadesh Barnea, part of the land which Israel is finally just taken in, uh, including everything that stretches across, you know, much of what would become Israel soon where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. My interpretation of what the word rest in this chapter of Hebrews means is a state of God's blessedness. I've heard this text used by my friends at the Church of Christ to describe uh, like a revocation of salvation. But I think what it describes instead is a state of God's blessedness. This is, and this is parallel to what happens in uh, Israel's, Israel's failure uh, in their conquest of the promised land in the first generation. And it's uh, consistent with their success in the second generation. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be uh, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, and by the way, these these both come from uh, Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for forty years? Wasn't it those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. All right now, at this point, I can see how that teaching is analogous to uh, the salvific status of a given soul uh, for for unbelief. Now, Kadesh Barnea is now no longer the foremost garrison, as it were, the campsite for Israel in the wilderness. Now it becomes a marker of a new territory that expands into the promised land. You, like the Old Testament Israelites, might find yourself at such a place. You've been here before and you failed before, or generations past have failed in the same testing. God has called you into this new season could be marriage, parenthood, professional advancement. It could be your own personal evangelistic life. Have you never led someone to Christ before? It could be a new relationship with God that goes beyond mere church attendance and becomes more personal and intimate. You've never actually entered into the state of God's blessedness. You've never left Kadesh Barnea into the promised land. You've never taken hold of everything that God has called you to. Look at the way in which God was with his people through something that previous generations had refused to capture. Just because other Christians have failed at this doesn't mean that you will. The difference between you and them is that you will, in light of this text, see to it that you are on God's side. You will not let fear dictate whether or not you evangelize, whether or not you propose marriage, whether or not, you know, you're going to be a good parent, whether or not you're going to step into a deeper intimacy with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, with every breath and every step, or if you're going to speak up about your faith and evangelize somebody already. Kadesh Barnea is the old high score, and it's time to bust past it. Would you pray with me right now as we close? God, We've seen how you took your people from Kadesh Barnea that used to represent the foremost state of the Exodus and now represents the far border between Israel and Moab near the Dead Sea becoming the southeastern corner in proximity to what would become this new promised land. We've seen how generations of Christians before us and evangelizing Seattle, have yet to experience what we're praying for. We will be strong. We will be courageous. We've never gone this way before. May we not stay in Kadesh Barnea, a mere campsite, but may we step into the promised land. I pray, Lord, for Christians who are at the precipice of a new professional advancement, who are at the precipice of a huge relationship advancement like marriage in the will of God, parenthood, as you create new life, sharing their faith, following in obedience to the Great Commission, God. I pray that I pray strength over them. I pray courage over them. It is our desire, oh God, not to just do what we want to do and not do the things that we're afraid to do and ask for you to be on our side as we do. You are Lord, so it's our heart's desire to be on your side. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll see you tomorrow.